Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. I love that line. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. You can taste the anticipation because it had been 400 years of silence, divine silence before Jesus. 400 years, no prophet. 400 years of turmoil, confusion, oppression, struggle, and divine silence. And I wonder if you know the feeling. Maybe you're in a season right now where the gloomy clouds of of night are rolling in and your job is just a little rocky and future concerns seem to haunt your sleep or maybe it's your marriage. It just kind of seems to be unraveling a little bit. It was once life-giving and fun and now it's just confusing. It's it's gloomy. Or that wayward child is, is breaking your heart and you're not quite sure how to help them and you fear that it's far worse than you know. Or maybe you're struggling to get pregnant and it feels like those prayers of yours are just, they're met in silence. Or you're facing loneliness, just this deep loneliness and nobody knows the darkness, the the deep loneliness that you're struggling through. And for some reason it tends to peak this time of year. I think we all know the feeling. This was God's people. 400 years of struggle and confusion and silence. Yet it was those gloomy clouds of night And death's dark shadows are put to flight. This is the Christmas story. Oh, come, God be with us. Oh, come, Emmanuel. We need him now more than ever. Ever since I was old enough, I loved riding bikes. Uh, In fact, this is a picture of of me with uh, my training wheels. This summer, I actually just got off my training wheels. It was a very big moment for me. My my wife ran alongside of me just to make sure. No, I I love biking so much so that I recently started a a biker gang. And uh, the the littlest one, we call her Muggsy. Um, She is little, but she is to be feared. But no, I've I've always, I just, I I love bicycles. I I love riding bikes. But there was a short stint where I just gave up riding my bike. And it was not because I crashed. I was about 11 years old at the time. 11-year-old, 90s, small town in Wisconsin. Your bike was your freedom. I don't know if any of you remember just kind of those days in the 90s, like the streetlights when those would turn on. That was your signal to go home. You just had that freedom. And my bike was my freedom. I rode everywhere. I'd ride to go visit my dad at, at his church office. And then on the way home, I would stop by my great grandma in the nursing home. Yeah, I didn't have friends to visit, but I didn't care. I had a bike and I could go anywhere. And there was this little trail. I remember this little trail would go through this park. And right in the middle of the park was this weeping willow tree. It's like one of my favorite trees. And I would, I'd ride there just to swing on the branches. And then I'd go to Quick Trip, the best gas station in the world, 65 cent donut at the time. Love those donuts. In fact, today, this is not like, we're not paid by Quick Trip, I promise. But like today, you can get the vanilla lattes there for like three bucks, the best coffee ever. Uh, but I'd, I'd go to Quick Trip and just hang out. I'd go to Ben Franklin. I don't know if that was like around here, but a long time ago, it was this like dime circle, Ben Franklin. I had no money, but I would just, I just look at all the, the pocket knives. Like there was just nothing like the freedom of riding my bike. Until the day I was cutting through a neighborhood and the neighborhood that I was cutting through was just a little bit more run down, but it was, a, it was a shortcut to Quick Trip. And as I was riding along, 
about to go through an alley, a rock came out of nowhere and hit me. It slammed on my brakes and I looked around and I saw there's a group of boys that are about five years older than me. They were laughing and they were all throwing rocks at me. And I, I froze. Like there, there was a lot of them and they, they were a lot bigger than me. And so finally I, I yelled out, I said, well, what, are you, what are you doing? And they said, throwing rocks at dumb bicycles. If we see you again, it'll be worse. Like, didn't, didn't make sense to me. So choking back tears, I, I turned my bike around and I pedaled as fast as I could toward home. Like, I could not wait to get off the stupid bicycle. When I got to the garage, I unbuckled my helmet and put it on the shelf and I tossed my bike into the corner of the garage. It's, just, it's not worth it. I'm not, not going to do this anymore. And, and maybe that wasn't the best decision at 11 years old, but I bet you've been doing that same thing with an area of your life. Because when gloomy clouds of night roll in and there's confusion or there's pain, what we end up doing as a defense mechanism is we just give up on stuff. It's going to put the marriage, at least the healthy marriage away. Maybe I won't get a divorce, but the idea of having a fun marriage, I've tried that. I'm sick of getting my hopes up. It's just not worth the pain. And so I'll just kind of sit over here and be envious of good marriages. Or we give up on in-law relationships. You know, I'd like to have a healthy relationship with, the, with that person, with that in-law. But, you know, the competition and the one-upping, I'm not going to try. And so as I go into this Christmas season, I'll just survive the family gatherings. Or a lot of people, I talked to a buddy of mine last week who did this, just give up on God. Give up on his church. Like life hurls rocks your way and you just kind of wonder where, where you at in all of this. And we don't know how to answer that question. So we just put God in the garage. Like I, I can't hope anymore. It just hurts too much. See, I venture to say there's a part of your life where you're just giving up on something. Gloomy clouds of night roll in. It's confusing. Things got tough. And so you toss it in the garage because trying just hurts. This was the feeling as God entered the scene. And that all too familiar Christmas story that we all know shouts to us in those very moments. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is page 855 and the Bible's in the chairs. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 1, we'll start in verse 26. It's kind of fun as I was preparing for this message before I came this afternoon. I live by this church and I hope the church never stops, but um, they play old hymns on the, on the bells, downtown displays in my house. I can hear it. And so I was just sitting in the backyard preparing for this message. And then O Come Emmanuel started playing on the, on the church bells. It's just kind of a, kind of a fun thing. And, and so I'm excited to jump into this. You know, the book of Luke is a very fascinating book. It's, uh, it's like a first century documentary. Luke was a very highly educated man. And after Jesus left, what Luke did is he went around and he interviewed eyewitnesses about the, the life of Jesus. And so in this text right here in Luke chapter one, I like to imagine, I really do believe that Luke sat down with Mary in her old age because Mary would have been the only witness to this. And so I love imagining Luke sitting down with elderly Mary and interviewing her. And what was it like? to be the first to hold Emmanuel. And I love to think of old Mary saying, Luke, my dear, Emmanuel started far before I could even feel him. This is such a good text. Let me pray and we'll jump right into it. God, we do thank you for your word, for your beautiful word, for your life-giving word. And Father, I, I know you want to speak to us. And there's some hearts in here who are desperate for for your words. And so God, I ask that you open our hearts even now as we go into this text, maybe even hearts that haven't been open to you in a while. 
And may you just breathe a, a fresh, a fresh uh, breath into, uh, into our spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms into Luke chapter 1, we find ourselves in the hills of Nazareth, a tiny little no-name town tucked into the Galilean hills. These hills are littered with caves. And the stonemasons in Nazareth, Joseph being one of them, have incorporated caves as part of their houses. And in one of the cave-dwelling homes, we find a young teenage girl busy going about her day. The day started with her washing the linens in order to let them dry in the, in the midday sun. And then there was a trip to the market just in the next town to pick up ingredients for tonight's meal. And as the meal simmers in the kitchen, the floors get washed and the laundry gets collected. And she can't help but go about her daily tasks with just sort of a pep, sort of an excitement. Because this is what she dreamed of, just being a homemaker, making a home. And if the day goes according to plan, she'll have a few moments to prepare for her upcoming wedding. But those plans, and all plans, come to a screeching halt here in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, uh, in the sixth month, I just want to stop right there for one second, because the sixth month uh, does not mean June. Like some people uh, assume that it, it, it was June, and then they'll go on to say, well, there's no way that Jesus could have been born in December, because that's not nine months. It's like, all right, Scrooge. Matthew doesn't mean June here. The context of this is that an angel had just appeared to Jesus' cousins, Zechariah, foretelling the birth of John the Baptist. And so uh, Elizabeth, Jesus' cousin, becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. And so Matthew is writing that it's in the sixth month of Jesus' cousin's pregnancy. Now, by the way, just kind of a fun little fact. Um, Some believe that when the uh, angel appeared to Zechariah, Jesus' cousin, it would have been around Yom Kippur, and we don't know that, but some speculate that Yom Kippur, which is September, October. If it's six months, then we're looking at March-ish. So it could be December that Jesus was born. I don't know. It's not like a hill I would die on, but it's still very much, uh, very much a, a, valid, um, a valid argument. Continues on. It says, in the sixth month, so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Small little town, no-name town. So much so that if you were to go to Nazareth today, uh, which I'd love to take you. We as a church, we go periodically. And last time we went to, um, to Israel, we stayed in Nazareth for a few nights. If you were to go today, you'd probably be disappointed. There's just not much archaeological finds. It was such a small town, there just wasn't much to it. And then today, the, the Catholic Church has built a big like, church over what was Nazareth. And so mainly it's just like a series of caves in the, in the church basement. Now for sure, Jesus would have ran these paths. These are first century finds, which is just kind of cool to envision Jesus, you know, kind of running around. Um, but this is pretty much it. Now, recently, and maybe you don't care about this, but I just love archaeology. But recently, British archaeologists believe they have found possibly Jesus's childhood home. But it's like near impossible to get to. I've not been able to get to it yet. But some scholars believe that this, um, this might be the house of Joseph. For years, it had been a place of pilgrimage for, for many, many uh, centuries. And this house dates back to the first century. Now, we don't know for sure. It could be way off, but it's just kind of fun to imagine. At the very least, Jesus' home would have looked something like this. And maybe it's around today because Joseph was a stonemason and he just built things to last. Who knows? That, but also scholars say because it became a place of pilgrimage, it was just, it was kept up more. 
It could be Jesus' home. It could not be. But either way, it is kind of fun to imagine. It would have looked something like this. But God sends an angel uh, to this little cave house where he, the angel finds Mary busy going about her work. We go on to the next verse. It says, and he came to her, meaning the angel came to Mary and said, greetings, O favored one. Now this verse, every year we look at this, it always cracks me up. Like just imagine this. Mary's, you know, she's knocking off her to-do list. The men in town have all left to go work their jobs in the neighboring town of Sephora's because Nazareth is so small. It does not have an economy that can enough to make it so that the men could work in town. They have to go to another nearby town. This leaves all of the women in the hills alone, which is cause for concern because it wasn't uncommon during that time for a band of men to head into the hills like a town like Nazareth to assault and to steal. Like, hey, the men are gone. Tiny little town, yours for the taking. And so during the day, the women in Nazareth, they had this concern in the back of their minds as their, as their men were all in like two mile, about a mile or two miles away. And so Mary's going about her business. You know, that's kind of in the back of her mind. And in the original language here in, in verse 28, it appears that she's inside doing her housework when all of a sudden there's a guy in her house. Greetings, oh favored one. That's a little unnerving. You put it into our context, like ladies, let's say uh, after church, you're walking out to your car and you thought you were alone. You're walking out to your car and then some guy pops out and says, hello, favored one. Yeah, like some of us guys would walk you to your car after that every week, <laughs> which is why in the next verse it says that Mary is greatly troubled. And I've read commentaries where like, guys who are way smarter than me, they'll, they'll write things like, you know, well, it's not quite clear why Mary was troubled. I read them like, are you kidding me, bro? Like, I don't get much. I get this. But then look what the angel says next. The Lord is with you. This phrase is precious. And so often we miss it. This is not some throwaway phrase. This is not some divine little pleasantry. This phrase would have stuck with Mary her entire life. I mean, you remember, she had to remember it as she told Luke. Luke, I don't, I don't remember everything, but I do remember the angel said, the Lord is with you. Why are these words such a big deal? Because how long has it been since the people had heard from God? You can answer. How long had it been? 400 years. 400. I mean, that's a long time. That's older than, that's older than our nation. Like for us, that's like Shakespeare. He lived about 400 years ago. So that's a very long time. God went silent for 400 years. And since then, Rome has taken over, has taxes into poverty, 13 generations of oppression. Meanwhile, God, who we worship, is silent. Like how... How can that not make someone doubt that he's near? And maybe not to this extreme, but you've probably felt those same emotions. Like, my goodness, is he hearing me? Is he hearing me pour out my, my heart in prayer? Because like, it's another negative pregnancy test. And I know he sees these. Does he care? Because how can he not do something about this? Maybe you felt this in a doctor's office. You see those discouraging results and you've been in prayer and your small group has been in prayer and you're in pain. And you get those results, like it's, just, it's only gonna get worse. Or maybe tonight you're gonna walk home into an empty house when your heart yearns for it to be filled with at least a spouse and the door latches shut and you just, you feel so alone. And it's in those dark moments that you can't help but wonder like, I know he says he's with me. Is he, is he here in this? Does he really care? 
Like this, this right here, this was the cultural temperature. Yes, people attended synagogue. They believed in Yahweh. They knew that Yahweh was good. They quoted that. But the silence, the 400 years of silence is confusing. And so these words touch a very sensitive spot on the soul. It's like water for a parched tongue. Mary, God is with you. No doubt her heart would have raced. I like to think of it a bit like, um, you ever see footage of a spacecraft re-entering Earth's atmosphere? It's a very dangerous feat. To break through the Earth's atmosphere requires great speed, intense compressed heat. And there's this nail-biting time in this moment called the blackout. Because of the, the compressed environment surrounding the spacecraft, mission control cannot radio into the astronauts. You think about that. That's a tense three and a half minutes of silence. I mean, the crew, their crew, their friends are miles above the earth, engulfed in extreme heat, rocketing toward the earth. They can't talk right now. One minor issue, heat shield failure, parachute malfunction, that spells disaster. And, and, and so they all just kind of sit in silence, just waiting to hear something. But then after three and a half minutes, the crew will break silence to, to mission control. And there's just cheering. I like to think that's, that's what's happening here. These five words, these five wonderful, beautiful words break the silence. Mary, the Lord is with you. God broke the silence to this teenage girl. Yeah, yes, God broke, God spoke to John the Baptist's dad six months earlier, but we have to remember he was mute. So the silence was, was still, it was still yet to be broken. And so that long silence was broken to this young country girl. They hit her ears, but they quickly touch her heart. No doubt five words that she would treasure. And I can't help but wonder if it's these five words that served Mary as this well that she came to draw from during the crucifixion, watching her child be crucified. I wonder if she's whispering this to herself. The Lord is with you. God is with you. Emmanuel. Those two long nights of Jesus in the tomb, I wonder if Mary cried herself to sleep. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Emmanuel. Wonderful words that weren't forgotten. Verse 30. Verse 30, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, it's here that you have to wonder if she starts piecing some things together right now. So no doubt, this, this right here, this is like, this is shocking. But it's even more shocking when you understand what Mary already knows. So yes, she's a country girl, likely illiterate as most girls and most women were in this region during this time, but she is Jewish and it was just cultural and Judaism for girls to be, to, to be educated. And so Mary was raised in synagogue. She went to synagogue school or bridge kids, if you will. Uh, she's, she's familiar with the Old Testament. She's memorized portions of scripture because she can't read. So she's, she's been taught to, to memorize it. And so as Gabriel is talking to her, her mind, I think her mind had to go back to the old prophet Isaiah who she studied when she was a little girl. It was this well-known prophecy that was made about 700 years before, before this moment. As a young girl, her teacher would have taught her these very words. It says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. She had no idea as a little girl her teacher was teaching about her. And I wonder if it was in that moment she starts piecing things together. It's like, hold on. I'm a virgin. She brings that up. You're saying I'm going to have a baby. And you, 
you just said God is with me. Am I that girl that Isaiah talked about 700 years ago? Like, what a moment. Regardless of how many times you've heard this, this is an incredible story. 400 years silence broken to a poor young girl's ears. Emmanuel, God is with you. This is exactly why John, Jesus' best friend, would later write the word, meaning God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. See, since the garden, humanity has craved Emmanuel and a poor teenage girl got to be part of breaking the silence. Now, forgive me if this ruins the Christmas vibe that we maybe got going on right now, but as, as incredible of a story as this is, sometimes it's really hard to embrace. Like if we were to just be completely candid, this can be hard to embrace. The whole idea of Emmanuel, God is with you. Because sometimes people just kind of throw that at you when you're hurting. They don't know what to say to you, right? You, you lose a loved one. It's like, hey, God is with you. It's like, it's really hard to embrace. And so you might be looking at this kind of thinking like, okay, this is a cute story. I heard it since I was a kid. In fact, Linus from Charlie Brown, I'm pretty sure he read that story. You know, heard it in church on Christmas Eve every year. And uh, Junior, I don't want to be a Grinch. It's kind of hard to connect with this. Like, I know God says he's with us, but is he really? Because it doesn't feel like it. And so we can read the Christmas story. That's great. You can sing Emmanuel, like Amanda did such a, a beautiful job. But I'm struggling right here to embrace that God is actually with me and will be with me. This is really hard to embrace. And, and so we get to this, we're like, okay, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Is this just kind of like some cute phrase that maybe we can hold on to? Hopefully it makes us feel better. Like if Emmanuel is true, how can we live with this abiding certainty? How can we sit in a doctor's office after hearing those dreaded results? How can we in that moment think, okay, Emmanuel, God is with me. Or when you get that text, you get that phone call of your child, your wayward child just hurting your heart even deeper. How can you in that pain say, okay, Emmanuel, I believe that. Or when the layoffs come and the bills roll in, when the marriage gets a little rocky, when the depression sinks in, when someone stabs you in the back, how can you in those moments not just say it, but believe, no, Emmanuel, I know that God is with me right here. Well, part of the beauty of Emmanuel is the wording. Emmanuel, God with us. It's not limited, if you look at this, it's not limited to a certain tense. It's not limited to past tense, present tense, or future tense. And so it's as if this word right here itself invites you, hey, make me whatever tense you want. It's still true. God was with you. God is with you. God will be with you. It's all true. And when you look at Emmanuel in that lens, you find this progression, this Emmanuel progression. He was, he is, he will be. And interestingly enough, it's that progression that is a massive help in helping us to embrace Emmanuel. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look closer at this progression. First, this is the first fill in the blank. Number one, God was with you. God was with you. This is the start of the, we'll call it the Emmanuel progression. I bet you know this because I bet you've experienced this. But sometimes God is easier to see through the rearview mirror of life, isn't he? Now he's harder to see out the window at where we are at now, and he's even harder to see through the windshield ahead of us. And so we start with the rearview mirror. 
Seeing what God has done in our life will help you notice what he's up to today and what he will be up to tomorrow. And by the way, I did not come up with this. This is like a major, major theme throughout the Old Testament. When God would want to spark people's faith to get them to do something, to to get them to step out and and, and trust him, he would often point to the past. He would say, hey, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt and brought you to the promised land. Look in the rearview mirror. See what I've done. This was repeated over and over and over to the people of Israel in the desert. This is why God asked his people to hold these festivals. I want you to just get together, party, and remember what I've done for you. Like this should be a major, major part of our quiet time with him. It's like, yes, read scripture. Do it between the lines because that's a really good podcast, by the way. Read scripture and ask God what you need. But a major part of our time with God should be just daily looking through the rearview mirror to give confidence to today. It's like, God, I, I saw what you did last week. I didn't see that coming, but I saw that was you. And I'm just now seeing it. God, I know you're going to be with me today. Noticing God was with you creates this well that you can draw from when the seasons of drought come. It's like this well or this bank that you could just kind of build up so that when you hit those bumpy roads, you're in the doctor's office or you're staring at the pile of bills or you lay it off. It's in those moments that you have this well. So, like, okay, I know that he has been with me and God, I know that you're going to be with me. I don't know what you're going to do, but I've seen you pull off some pretty big things. So I can head into this with some confidence. It's a few years ago, uh, I was going through a difficult season. And to be fair, you've probably had far worse, but it was just like a discouraging season for me personally. And no joke, what, a, a major part of shaking me from that funk was this right here. Just dwelling on the past tense of Emmanuel. I started looking back and just seeing God's hand in my life. Like how I met my wife, the, the timing and the circumstances. Like I hadn't seen it before, but as I was looking, I was like, man, that was like, God had a hand in that. Or what I'm doing right now. I used to be the janitor here. God's hand just, just guiding. How I got the house I lived in. It's wild. Right before COVID, I did something stupid and I sold my house. And then COVID hit. We were homeless. <laughs> living, in, uh, living with my wife and my girls in my, my parents' basement for months. And, and we were searching for houses. Anytime we'd find something, it just kind of fell through. It was getting really discouraging. And, and one day, actually, I was helping one of our staff move. And uh, I, I was driving with my brother-in-law. And I pointed at a street and I said, man, I would love to live on that quiet, short street, but like nothing ever goes for sale on that street. That night, a woman from our church wrote me an email and said, hey, I uh, heard through the grapevine you're looking for a house. I need to sell. Um, maybe we could help each other out. She sent me her address. Same exact street I pointed at hours before saying nothing ever goes for sale on that small little street. It's like, man, that's just like, it's almost like God just playing with me now. Like just God's hand. A while back, our church was going through a capital campaign. And Nicole and I, we wanted to uh, give above and, and beyond what we normally give. And I had a number in my head. We said, okay, I'm going to have a number, you have a number, and then we'll get together, we'll go for a walk, and we'll share each other's numbers. So we go on this walk, and, uh, and she, her number was bigger than mine. And so we're on this walk, and I told her, I was like, babe, I, I don't know what you're expecting. Like, do you want me to sell a kidney? I don't know how we're going to make this number. Like, we, we can't pull that off. She's like, yeah, but I believe that God's calling us to it. All right. Like, who am I to get in the way? So we committed to her number. Wasn't sure how we were going to pull that off. The next day, I kid you not, the next day, my mortgage lender called me, said, hey, uh, we had a bit of a fluke on your loan. The bank is mailing you a check for almost down to the dollar amount of our commitment. It's like, man, God, you're just like playing with me. Like, it's God's hand. 
God's just saying, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. You just be faithful. You take that and I'm, I'm going to take care of you. And when I see all of that through my rearview mirror, I can look through the windshield and be like, I got this abiding certainty. God was with me back there. You can bet for sure he's going to be up there. Bring it on. See, this isn't some blind faith that God calls us to. And I know that Christians are often, you know, slammed for that, oh, you know, just blind faith. No, God doesn't call us to blind faith. He says, look through the rearview mirror. See what I've done in your life. And it'll be far easier to look through the windshield with confidence. God was with you. And maybe it might make some time, but just create that well. Where has God been with me? I'm going to create that well and reflect on that well. Dig that well very deep. Where has God guided me? Those small little ways where God has shown up, it builds faith and it gives confidence to then believe that he's with me here. God is with me. Like Whether you believe it or whether you feel it or not, God is with you. And so often we fail to understand that we have a God, a Father, craving to be with you in your pain. My goodness, when my girls are struggling, there is nothing more that, that I want than to be with them in their moments of fear. If I see my girls are afraid, it breaks my heart. Dad wants to be there with them. And I'm not the perfect dad. I'm far from it. How much more does our perfect father want to be with us? He's with you in the doctor's office. He's with you when you get that dreaded text. He's with you when you walk into that empty house. I think some of us really need to to understand that Emmanuel is sometimes felt the most in deep pain. It's often where we feel Emmanuel the most. When it just hurts. And maybe you're in that position right now to feel Emmanuel the deepest. So when you start seeing God through the rearview mirror, you see how he works in the past, you start to pick up on little signs of him working in the present. It's like, man, yeah, that seems like God's doing something there. I, I don't know for sure, but based on what he's done in my past, it just kind of seems where God likes to work. Because when you focus on where God was, you start to pick up on where God is right now. And it gives you confidence in number three, that God will be with you. You probably know some people with just big faith in your life. Maybe, maybe even in this church, you know, you have a friend in this church, like, just have some faith, you know, or maybe like a, a grandfather or a grandparent or like a, you know, parent, you know, just someone who just doesn't get rattled. You know, they just have this abiding certainty. No, Emmanuel is with me. It's not that they're mentally like, oh, they're just so mentally much stronger than me. And it's not that they're all, oh, they're just so blissfully ignorant. It's none of that. If their faith is true and big, it's because they've learned to walk this Emmanuel progression. No, no, no. I have focused on what God has done. I'm constantly thanking him for what he's done. I'm noticing him around me a little bit. Full steam ahead. Emmanuel isn't a concept God asks you to buy into blindly. Instead, God says, I've left fingerprints all around you. All around your life. Notice those. Enjoy those. Reflect on those. You know that I'll be with you. You're not going to want to quit. A few days after I threw my helmet on the shelf and pushed my bike into the garage corner, my dad noticed that I just kind of had the mitt taken out of me. And so he sat me down. He said, well, what's up? You're always out riding your bike. And I just kind of moping around here. What's up? So I told him my story. And then he surprised me. And he said, well, you know what you need to do, Junior? I said, stay at home. He said, no, you need to get back on your bike and you need to ride through that neighborhood down that street again. Like, what? No. You want me dead, Dad? Like, what kind of a dad are you? 
thinking, oh, you're going to get back on your bike, you're going to jump on the bike, and you're going to ride right through that neighborhood, right down that street. I started tearing up. I was like, no way. Like, don't you care? So when he pulled his keys out of his pocket, he jingled his keys. He said, I'm coming with, though. And I'm going to be in the car right next to you. Like, oh, that changed everything. I rode through that neighborhood with this sweet taste of freedom. Bring on the rocks, because dad's in the car. Riding my bike never felt so good. That's Emmanuel. To live without abiding certainty. I got dad with me. Where are you giving up? Who, who are you giving up on? Or are you just kind of wearing out? What's in the corner of your garage? Maybe it's God. You're just giving up on him. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's leading. This season, God jingles his keys. Come on. Jump back in. Emmanuel, I'm coming with. In your empty house, I'm going to be there. In that tough job market that's so confusing, I'm going to be with you in that. Navigating singleness, broken hearts, I'm with you right there. In that rough marriage, I'm going to walk with you through that. In that doctor's office, I'm going to be right there with you. Like, I hope you realize, God says to you, I'm coming with. I'm coming with you. It's still going to hurt. But Emmanuel changes everything. And so we ask ourselves, so what? As we always do, coming out of God's word. It's like, I mean, beautiful story here. It's read every Christmas. But like, how does this change my week? How does this change my approach into this holiday? We're going to take some time for a corporate reflection. We talked about reflection last week and just the value of reflection and how we need reflection right now because reflection slows us down and zooms us out as we head into this busy season. And so we're going to take just some time for reflection. The question that I want to guide our time of reflection is, is where have you been missing God? Like he's there, but where have you just been oblivious? Is it in your past? Have you never actually sat there and just reflected on the blessings in your life and how God's hand played a major role in those blessings? Not a major, it was the only role. Have you ever just sat and reflected? I've not yet actually thought of like all that God has done in my past. Maybe you have done that and you're just failing to see him in the present. God's working all around you. He is. And you're just missing it because you're hyper-focused on something. Maybe it's the future. Your anxieties have just, and I've been there, have just taken over almost like your spirit. Can't really focus on what he's doing or what he's going to do because you just, you've painted this godless future in your mind. Where are you missing God? Because we have a dad who says, I'll come on with, I want to come with. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.